Hi, and welcome to the School Health Educators Podcast, where we discuss health education and how to best teach health ed in the K-12 setting. Welcome to the School Health Educators Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, and today's episode is focusing on how to ensure a safe and positive environment in the classroom. To help talk about this, I invited somebody I met some years ago, and her name is Deb Tackman. Those of you listening in, if you've been in the field for as long as I have, or even a little bit less than I have, you know this name. She is nationally recognized. She is a superstar. And when I first met her was when New York State had a conference in July. I think it was sponsored through ASHA, the American School Health Association. And she was the main person leading it for, I think, a two full days. And one of her first lessons of how she introduced herself was she was dressed up as a fairy godmother in which, yes, I have stolen that from you. I've given you credit. I give you credit. That is not mine. I tell my students when I still do that for the college students to model how you can just say hi to your students. I'm like, dress up as a fairy godmother, as a genie, whatever is appropriate for you. Um, I remember that. And I also remember just how you were able to get our interest as school health educators. You just maintained our interest for the whole entire time. And I'm going to admit, I sometimes go to a conference and I get bored very easily because I'm not being inspired. I'm not being taught more. You didn't do that to me at all. So Deb, it was so much fun to meet you then. I even got a copy of your book. Deb, would you please say hi Yes. Oh my gosh. I used that fairy outfit popping out of a closet. Kids didn't know who I was, where I was. And I actually did it at a commencement ceremony in a university. And you're right. And it's so important to get the attention of your audience and to keep it, especially in the world that we have with social media and phones and you know, all that stuff. So, oh my goodness, that's funny. (laughs) That's what you remembered. Um, And the book was called Outrageous Teaching Techniques. Yeah. Way back in the day. And I was asked to put all those lessons together because they, people thought they were good. And I think that's one thing we need to do more of as health educators is to share what we know works with kids, because sometimes the only thing that we share is a parking lot. And then we go back into our car at the end of the day. So not only safe and positive environments to help kids learn and engage them, but then share what you know works because it might work beautifully for somebody else or they could tweak it and make it better for both of you. Can you tell us some of your teaching background, like where you taught and also the awards that you've won over the years? Oh, good Lord. Um, I, not like a lot of people, I had no intentions of being a teacher. Uh, My dad was a physician. My mother was an English teacher. And I just, to be honest, wanted to be barefoot pregnant, live in a trailer court with my boyfriend. And when I was 18, my dad brought in a huge trunk and said, pack this. And he drove me out to the University of South Dakota, where they were from, and dropped me off with a check, not a lot of money, and said, if you're lucky, I'll see you in December. And um, the saying, she, you know, 
if she thinks she can do it or she dreams she can do it, she'll do it. I just jumped into physical education, coaching, health education. Keep in mind, this was right when um, Title IX just started. So there were no female coaches, no females anywhere in this field, no standards, no nothing. And um, if she thinks, if, you know, if she thinks she could, she did. And so I did. And I actually competed at the college level of sports when there wasn't any. So my first job was in um, Minnesota, a little town, and they added the health component to it. Now I was mostly FIAT, although I had a degree in coaching and adaptive and health. But I became obsessed with how can I do this better? And from there, I went and got my first master's degree, went to Wisconsin Bloomer to teach. And that was all health. That was seventh, eighth, and high school health and an advanced health class. And then I got my second master's degree because I still didn't know enough. Um, Transferred to a large school district, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Taught there for 27 years. And because of political stuff, I retired, worked for the health department, which gave me a whole nother view of the world from the business side and the grant side. And um, I just miss kids. So I got a phone call from Fall Creek, Wisconsin. Hey, Deb, you interested in helping us with our curriculum? It's like, uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh. And then the last 10 years, I was fourth through 12th grade health and FIAD. And um, I had a pretty good grasp working for the Department of Public Instruction on what standards should look like when infused correctly for kids. And Lori, that's where I met you. (laughs) I mean, when we started doing good work. Um, I don't like talking about my awards. Um, I think there's. But you're, no, we, like, I don't either, because I won the, what used to be AFERD. Mm. I won the teacher of the year in 2010. And Mm -hmm. I don't even know where they put that list because I know the title of the organization has changed, but, and I, and I just think it's neat that you've won ASHA. Yes. You were teacher of the year. Also Disney teacher of the year. Yeah. The only health teacher. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And USA today, one of the top 30 teachers in the nation. Yeah. And I think the biggest one you had to, jumped through some hoops in order to be inducted into the National Teacher Hall of Fame. And I was the only teacher from Wisconsin, that was in 2012, and the only health education instructor. And that gave me a platform to jump from um, as it relates to health is an entity, and I believe by itself. Um, There's a lot of things that we can do to collaborate and network with different disciplines. But when you look at health education and all of those skills we are empowered to teach, that is a challenge in itself, but it's also the most, oh, I'm going to cry, beautiful thing in the world when you can help kids help themselves through life, starting at a very young age. And oh my goodness. um, It's so true. Well, it is. And that's what empowered me to keep pushing for 47 years yeah. in the classroom and right. higher and higher level. But you know, you hit it right. Oh my gosh. 
perfectly when you said you have to, it's an absolute must to create a safe and positive environment because without that, all of the content and skills we teach cannot be embedded at the deepest level. And what I mean by that is think about an ocean. There are people that kind of float on the top. There are people that take a risk and snorkel. Um, and there are people that take a huge risk and scuba dive. And that scuba diving requires so many skills more than snorkeling or floating. And that would be my challenge for your listeners is to find out how can I learn all the skills I need as a health educator to empower myself, to empower the kids. And that in and of itself is the best award or reward anyone could ever ask for. I totally agree. Uh, I, I want people to understand that, you know, just because a person gets tenured, just because they might get one degree, that their learning is not done. It doesn't, you know, I don't want people to be in a field where they've kind of like given up or will I have a paycheck? or teaching health, and then they really want to coach. It's like, can you please give that position to someone who's passionate, like what you said? And Deb referenced to when we did some work together in Wisconsin. So I met Deb over 20 years ago at that conference in New York. And then when I was working in Wisconsin, and wonderful Eileen Hare was working at the Department of Public Instruction, she got me into working with the current health educators in the state of Wisconsin and to help them with skill-based instruction. And Deb was one of those people. So we got reconnected and then I continued with, I know somebody replaced Eileen's uh, in her position and we got reconnected. So Deb and I have this interesting history where we'd see each other, kind of come into each other's lives and that passion, she still has that passion. I still have that passion. It's when we really do what's great for the young people, it, it touches our hearts. I mean, cause, but that's why we're doing it to me. Like I love these young people. I want to see future generations be as healthy as possible. It's, it's interesting you say that, Lori, because I will go into the dollar store or Dollar Tree or whatever. I can't shut my brain off of how can I use that <laughs> an environment of, you know, my, my bubbles and my wand and all. I mean, I have a closet full of things that I use to engage kids. Mm-hmm. You can call it whatever you want, a bell ring or whatever. <laughs> but I think what you're trying to build is trust respect, honesty, and challenge the kids to have courage to look beyond the surface of the water and to go into their life deeper. And if you can do that, I think they will find an incredible value for the skills that you are trying to help them learn and apply not only in whatever grade they're in in health education, but in life. But in life. Oh my gosh. So how can health educators ensure a safe and positive environment in the classroom? So we want to teach you now as updated as possible, but going to the topic of this, this episode of ensuring a safe and positive environment, what do you recommend? Oh my goodness. Um, I think one of the first things is you as a human being have to do everything you possibly can to model 
honesty, respect, responsibility, compassion, courage, justice. So I need to model those behaviors because those are also the, for my classroom, the foundation. Um, matter of fact, all of my kids and parents have to have a conversation and then they have to define what exactly do they think honesty is. And so I bring that home with them, um, you know, to seek and speak the truth, which isn't always easy. The second one is respect, respect, um, value yourself, others, property and diversity. Cause there's going to be diversity in all the topics that we bring into that classroom. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes need to agree to disagree. I think responsibility is my third one. And all of these are on my board in the back of my room. They're in my physical education gym. They're on my little back of my clipboard that I use. So they're visible. A compassion to show care and kindness for others. Courage, I think, is a big one to face difficult situation with confidence and determination where my students, for example, would write a letter to themselves and they'd answer a bunch of personal questions, put it in the envelope as a seventh grader, write another letter as an eighth grader, compare, you know, who you, who you are. And then they do it again in 10th grade and then they get it back at, at their senior year. And if you had, for example, a difficult situation, it could be on any level, social, mental, emotional, financial, COVID was something, oh my goodness. Did you have the courage to maybe, I asked myself to ask myself, who do I know that knows more than me? Right. You know, so if a student wants to quit vaping or a student maybe wants to be sexually active, who knows more than I do that can help me with that decision, either continue with that or to change. I think another one is justice to consider the perspective of others. That is hard to do for a young one. And some, and I'll just look at the board and I said, okay, remember these, these are our um, classroom expectations. And the other one is work ethic. It is not my job to do your job. I will do the best I can. And I know there are extenuating circumstances where you are the only income for your family, or, I mean, the list just goes forever. Um, So I guess set up what you believe are your standards. And then what is the behavior above the line and below the line? You know, that, that is awesome. And I reward that. I, I try really hard not to say, Hey, so-and-so you're blah, 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 blah. I just go over to my point and go, okay, is this in violation? Because we agreed. Now it's funny. I think Lori, we talked Sometimes the teacher might ask the kids to come up with the expectations, mm-hmm. but in my 40 plus years of teaching all age levels, for the most part, they come up with those same ones, Yeah, but we, we do have to agree on them. And that was one of the first things that you did when we worked with you as a cadre in health education. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's kids and adults. You did that workshop. I do remember you had the norms or expectations. And I love that because I was doing that in my Uh, middle school position that I had. And I thought it was so important that I even put them up and at time, well, I would put them up on the wall. I'd have each one have like a different color piece of paper. And I even had something like you are enough. That was one of mine. And I shared this with college students recently. And one of them said, I had a teacher that used that you are enough. And I love that. And I said, yeah, you are enough. You don't need to do anything 
like impress me in any other way because of who you are. There's a purpose for you on this planet. And it doesn't matter what kind of shoes you're wearing. I don't care if you have the coolest shirt on last week's Walmart special. I don't care because it's about you. Your, your stuff outside of you doesn't tell me who you are. It's what's inside. And so I'm hearing you do the same thing where you have things written down and then they're put on the wall. And so it can be easily referred to. Correct. Okay. And if somebody that's listening in hasn't done that already in their health class, then they can be like, you know what? Let's go back to that. You know, let's, let's like, you know, we got to know each other. It's now September, whatever it is. Let's go over some norms or expectations in this classroom. And that can include like some of the things that you had said. Yes. I think another thing that um, I do is I layer So even though, I mean, good Lord, think about the first week or so of class. All your teachers are telling you what you're supposed to do. Yeah, Yeah. it's nuts. So that's why I jump out of the closet in my fairy costume. That's why I do, I mean, in my district, my last school district, because it was a small district, we did a getting to know you on the first day. And then we did a scavenger hunt. Okay, so... How many file cabinets are in this room? How many kids have black shoe, tennis shoes on? And just to get them up and moving, as we know, that's important because they can't sit still. But, you know, we do a kid bingo. How many of you have a nose ring? How many? Just to start that relationship building. And I'll tell you, each class I've taught in health, especially my middle school or my high school classes, each class has, has its own personality. Yes. And each class, because it has a personality, like I have three children, they're all very different from the same genetic background. Those personalities I like to complement and work with. And if you have no idea what that personality is in your classroom, I don't care if you had the most amazing lesson in the whole wide world. If you haven't established that cl- that climate, that relationship, it's going to go down the tube faster than anything. Um, wow. I do the same thing with college and we have grad classes that could be three hours long. So the first thing I want to do is I don't want to take out the syllabus. I just can't. I think it's dry too. And the students are already like they come in and okay, this is like the third, fourth time, whatever, depending upon the amount of classes there they've taken Uh, and what, you know, they're studying and all, but I say, okay, we got to do like a get to know you activity and we do something. And if I, I sometimes have a grad student that, is in another class of mine. So I have to then change it. And I'm cool with that. So it's a different, you know, is it a person search? Is it, do you know your neighbor? Is it, uh, I even did something at the end of last week to conclude that got them moving around. So it's all this, okay, let's do something that helps us get to know one another. And why would I do this? You know, the first time we see a classroom, a, a bunch of students, excuse me, the first time we see students. And then we can talk about the norms and expectations, whatever you want to call them in our classroom. And I would even have the kids read them from the walls and tell me what they think it's about, because I want them to know that this is an agreement, like you said, of all of us. And what I've done in my college classes is I'll, and these are future health teachers, I'll leave the classroom at one point to see if they have any other rules they want to put on there. And then the next time I see them, I ask them to write anonymously, do you want to change anything? Do you have any questions about the norms that we created? That kind of stuff. Because I want to model that respect. And, you know, in health, we talk about some heavy topics. So let's create that positive classroom environment as best as possible. 
Yep. And and you can be creative with that. I remember one year at the, oh, I was just so tired at the end of one semester. I had 150 kids and we flipped to a different semester. And I said, okay, I bought some, uh, one of the, those eggs that you do the, um, you put the candy in and you do an Easter egg hunt kind of uh-huh. thing. Yeah. And I put the expectations in Easter eggs all over the room. Uh-huh. And I kids find the Easter egg, open it up. They found respect. And I said, okay, you're going to get five or six different Easter eggs. I want you to take of all the different ones, what your top three are, and we're going to vote. I mean, mm-hmm. So there's so many ways. So it's not about just the expectations that you have, but the the environment that you create with the kids that are moving and the Easter eggs that are in the room, you know, you could pop out of the closet like an Easter bunny for all I care and put the, you know, the headband on. And maybe that's not within your comfort zone, but if I take a risk to be crazy and show myself, <laughs> uh-huh. seen, uh-huh. then I think that feeds the kid's ability to maybe take a little bit of a risk to look inside themselves. Absolutely. Um, a couple other things too, because you asked me this question. It's like, I don't know. Well, first of all, I want as best I can. And sometimes I've had 36, 40 kids in a classroom and I get that's hard. I will never put kids in rows again, ever. Um, I like to have all the kids as best I can in my little environment see each other. Yeah. And I change my classroom seating chart because you have to have some type of attendance about every two weeks. So I know what activities are coming up. So sometimes my seating charts are homogeneous. Sometimes they're heterogeneous. Sometimes they're random. You come in and you pick a color, uh, you know, from a I'm gonna, the, ah, tongue depressor thing, you know, those things. Uh-huh. They have six different colors, get them at the dollar store. Okay, you're in the green group. You're in the red group. You're in the orange group. I mean, there's a variety of ways to do that or peer selection. But if we're going to do a project that I know is important for heterogeneous pairing, I purposely create my seating chart. I will never let the kids choose all the time where they sit because that becomes too comfortable. Yep. And what we talk about in health education can be very uncomfortable. So if you've at least made a connection with most of the kids in that classroom, that enhances and fosters learning without question. This is great because you're you're spewing all of these great ideas for people because some people are still same row, same spot, that kind of stuff. And you have the ability to move. I do know sometimes you are like a push in where you have somebody quote unquote else's classroom and they don't want you to leave things in disarray or you have to put the desk exactly where they are. So I understand that comes up, but to have creativity to like what you said, sometimes people can pick their own groups, but then like I sometimes have them pull out like the animals and it's six different animals and they Mm. have to find their groups by making the animal sounds. Yep. Yep. And so they go, you know, moo, moo, and they find each other and stuff. And we laugh. And then I say, okay, where's the cow group? How do I know? Make the sound, you know? And they all have to go moo, that kind of thing. So I love the creativity. I was thinking the other thing, and you have to ask permission because some kids have some health issues. But most of the time, matter of fact, I was just in another person's classroom the other time with our technology. The kids had work time, but I put up on the big screen, we have clever touch screens, relaxation music with leaves falling in the background. Uh, The room, in my opinion, smelled like dirty sweat socks. So I had a very light essential oil of lavender 
you know, that I put on a tissue or you can have a diffuser or a spray or whatever. And I remember vividly one of the kids saying, ah, we're back in health class again. Just because they could walk in and they could feel their stress and anxiety leave at the, cl- at the classroom door when they came in. And I just think that is so important. And I think if anything you take out of this, and sometimes it's hard, I get it, because you've got 400 million balls that you're trying to keep in the air at the same time with all the variables in your room and your lesson and blah, blah, blah. But what I found is I make a point to make sure that every child, regardless of age, is seen and valued and heard. Because a lot of kids I know at home are invisible. And I, oh my gosh, I would say that would probably be one of the most important things with a safe and positive environment, besides the rules, the expectations, the fun things, blah, 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 is to make golden sure that every child is seen by you and valued by you. Like I was at Walmart or Target or something the other day and, and a person was in front of me and she turned around and she goes, you were my health teacher in high school. And okay, we change a little bit over the years. And I go, <laughs> the face I could recognize. But I said, when did you graduate? She said, 1992. And I remember your classroom and I remember you. And so for me, if you can create an environment that is conducive to valuing everybody's opinion, and I like you are enough, but they need to feel that, not see yep. it on a poster daily. Mm-hmm. And you're going to yeah. have controversies. I mean, good Lord, just, okay, I'm going to throw it out there. Look at the Roe versus Wade stuff going on. I mean, mm-hmm. holy moly, that's topics that might come into your classroom, whether it's curriculum or not, it's going to get there. Or alcoholism or, I mean, the list is forever that can be controversial. But if I'm valued, and even if I don't say anything, if I intrinsically start challenging myself, and then I walk out of your classroom, that's huge. Yes. So all the little things that we can do, and it's layered, it's not just, you know, I, I think of, you asked me to talk about, you know, safe and, and positive environments. I'm thinking it's like a 27 layered salad. Every Absolutely. Time eat. How mm-hmm. do I take that apart? But what I can tell the people out there is if you're asked, let's say I'm asked to teach um, an algebra two class and they're not my kids, it's not my environment, but for whatever reason, I need to teach that today because the teacher's gone or whatever. If I bring all of those pieces into that classroom, you know, honesty, respect, and making sure the kids are valued and all of that, it really doesn't matter what I'm teaching because the kids are going to be a sponge and they're going to be thirsty to learn. You're reminding me, Deb, of so many people through Facebook, so many people that I've reconnected with that were my students that did note that health class, our health class, had 
the most positive environment. And I actually, when you were talking, I had tears in my eyes at one part because I remember kids, particularly in middle school, that they were being picked on in other classes, not in our classroom. Uh, and it was just, and it's, it's just that let's have, you know, these expectations, let's uphold them. Let's hold me accountable. And I don't know if you ever heard of this one, this norm is one put down equals two put ups. Yes. Um, <laughs> I learned that in project adventure and I would use that. I even use that in college classes yet when in the K through 12 setting, I would use that. And because I know sometimes like, first of all, People don't always understand that they can push. They might say something they heard on like a TV show, like Modern Family, which is actually an insult to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. teasing, we have to define what teasing is. You know, joking and teasing and, and bullying, three very different things, a different intents there. Yet when somebody, and it would be like making a little comment to appear and I would hold them accountable like, oh, ouch, I need you to provide two put-ups. And, you know, we can do it here. We can do it in writing after school. You know, I'd give them options and stuff. And that rule in itself, I know some people might not like it, but it's, it's helping young people to go, wait a minute, I didn't realize I hurt your feelings and I need to be held accountable. Yeah. That's the one put down equals two put ups. And I remember one student in particular that had written a letter to me years and years later saying that rule saved her like in this class. Because she was picked on and I would read body language and I'd be like, what's going on here? And not in front of, you know, the whole class. But and then sometimes I would do the um, so, you know, this class, it's like you're acting. I would say something silly and they'd be like two put ups and I'd be like, OK. And I could do two put ups for every single student. You know, and that's interesting because I had this conversation with my um, high school kids the other day. I said, just. In the very beginning, I said, what's the difference between making an apology and making an amends? Mm. An apology, hopefully sincere, would be, I'm sorry. An amends is, I'm sorry, and this is the behavior I'm choosing to change. Yep. So with an amends, I'm learning and then correcting. And so all of those things... You know, it, you, you can just infuse them, teachable moments, whatever you want to call them. But we, right or wrong, this is my opinion, need to model that as best as we can. And you're right. It'll smack us in the face because it's the same <laughs> with me. I, I would say, oh, my Lord, I just did that wrong. Miss Tagman, you need two put-ups. <laughs> <laughs> and even if it causes what we call a three-second pause before you say something, Give yourself a three-second pause and then move forward. Just that three seconds can change so much. So, yeah, the best lesson in the world most of the time is going to crash and burn. And again, like you said on Facebook, and there's so many groups that you can do with health education. You know, I'm a first-year teacher. What do I do? Blah, blah, blah. Establish a positive relationship. And I'm going to add, not buddy, buddy, I'm your friend. I am still your teacher. I am still the adult. But I will tell you, long story short, we actually had an intruder in, in our school and the alarms went off and the rooms were shut and it was in the dark. And one of my highest risk verbally always talking <laughs> to kids, oh my God, I'm going to cry. I mean, he was really a challenge. I didn't like that personality very much because it always interrupted 
he sat right next to me. I'll never forget it. And he goes, are we going to be safe? Because I feel safest here with you. So kids will surprise you many, 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 many times. And if you can establish that you're a safe person, then you can talk about things that are hard. And health education is hard to do it well. But in 47 years, it has been the most rewarding experience of my entire life. And anyone that's in our field, if you don't feel it now, you will, because it changes lives. I think that is the perfect comment to end with for today. Uh, I just feel you in my heart, like you have the passion, I have the passion. So many people listening, they're going to be inspired. And thank you. Thank you so much, Deb. You are, you are so welcome. Take the baton. I'm passing it on to your listeners. Take it, hold it strong, and continue the journey because it makes a difference. Yeah. Well, to our listeners, I thank you so much for listening in. And again, thank you, my wonderful, my wonderful friend, Deb Tagman. Uh, as a reminder for those of you listening in, there are three reminders I have for you that... To follow this podcast, if you would make sure you note it on your favorite podcast platform, you can also rate it. That'd be really great. Put some positive comments down there because this podcast is for school health educators, specifically for our field. Reminder number two is to check out the website, the schoolhealtheducators.com website. There's a whole bunch of resources there that you can refer to and links to these episodes. And remember, you make a difference. You matter. Amen to that one. <laughs> Stay well, and I'll see you next time, folks. Take care. Bye-bye.